I first met Stuart and Todd back in Shawshank when they were battling all kinds of trouble, long before they battled with bits of rubber. Listen now to the tale of another kind of life on the inside, and then get busy making. <laughs> So we have an interesting episode this week. I say this week like it comes out every week. Like I can be relied upon to fucking get that shit together. Um, it's been a but busy it will be year. this week. <laughs> it will be this week. This will come out this week. But me and saying we've still this got some episode, good stuff in the weekend. can that we haven't gotten out yet. Yes. Well, there's there's a and couple that are there piling up. Yes, and they're they're kind of rough edited as well. So I've got to get onto those. <laughs> it's been mad but yeah we'll do those next but the ones that we recorded before are nearly finished up and we just need them to be a- approved this is the burden of doing the podcast is you have to do it and then just because the way we do things we make sure that the person who's in it listens to it before we release it so they yeah have to find a way to want to make sure everybody's happy yeah on the same just, page it's tricky if, if you can't get hold of that person or they're busy or whatever so we're at the mercy of when they can do that so and i, I in my you know the capacity i haven't pushed because i've been very busy myself so um i'm, I'm a bit slow to, on that front. yeah but i'll i'll crack on yeah well i've you know i've i've finally made a decision right after after the episode we just recorded uh-huh. when i grow up i want to be bill corso <laughs> yeah man he's awesome. oh my god so yeah we had a we had a good two-hour chat with bill corso now for those of you who don't know bill corso shame on you um He's yes. a makeup designer with a very extensive credit list. Um, you'll probably know him best. You'll know him best from um, Deadpool. Um, and he was a makeup designer on Deadpool. He did. Uh, he was Jim Carrey's makeup designer for Lemony Snicket. You know, the, mm-hmm. the for which he won an Academy Award. Uh, because his work is not sloppy. But the thing about Bill is he's been doing it a while and he's worked in the workshop making stuff. He's now mostly on set as a designer. So he has a very extensive experience of all aspects and i think that makes him very uniquely placed to be able to comment on all those things because yeah a lot of the people that we talk to have you know they, they work in one area or they're one thing but he's gone all the way through from you know from 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 the workshop stuff the backroom boy stuff which i'm you know that's you, you and i are basically that's our environment <laughs> that's mm-hmm. where we feel safest up to being on set and not everybody enjoys being on set or you know flourishes on set um but he seems to have done both but he seems to have taken to being on set and so oh yeah uh, and he's and he's highly in demand i mean he's harrison ford's personal makeup artist he works with jim carrey ryan reynolds uh, josh brolin i mean the list goes on and on and not just actors you know a-list actors but a-list makeup folk as well yeah. yeah you know name somebody who you think is the shit and bill's worked with them Absolutely. And what is interesting as well, I looked through a lot of the IMDb credits, you'll see like a lot of the people he has are the same people, you know, like Richie Alonso and stuff, I'll get the same good people back. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that's that's the best kind of shorthand. If you work with someone and you know them for a long time and, and you work well, why wouldn't you expedite everything? Given that all the stuff that can happen to you and go wrong is likely to do so, it makes yeah, sense. And Richie's one of those guys that good together. people working in the business know who Richie Alonso is, but anyone outside you go who, who's that but richie alonzo yeah. is phenomenal yeah it's you know, like weird. like matt rose he's he's one of those guys that everybody who is at the top of their game wants on their team because he's gonna just make them look better yeah yeah 
it's incredible and you do get that thing of these kind of almost anonymous sort of people who 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 continually churn out amazing stuff and 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 make these things happen and often there's there's you know some someone gets known for something or they get credit for something and there's a huge team underneath them that just are not as as well known or they don't have the same reach Uh, and bill's very good at pointing out these things you know it's something we talked about in the episode is not everybody enjoys being in the limelight they they prefer to be unseen but doing the best work that they can yeah although some some people thrive in in that environment others don't yeah but sometimes people that do deserve more credit don't get a look in because they don't fit what people think. Often, I think that's the case. You know, I think the responsibility to that is a lot of it is down to producers who are filming behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. And they'll, they'll gravitate towards someone that they think looks good on camera, even if they've only showed up for that day to help out. That's happened to me before in jobs where like, you know, <laughs> somebody that looks good, um, you know, and maybe is, is found attractive by the, the presenter is the one that they ask. It's like, she's just here today, man. We got, yeah. And somebody that's been working right next to him that's been on the job for six months. No one thinks to look at that guy because he looks like a piece of shit because guess what? He's been working 18 hours a day for the past six months to make this fucking thing happen. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but Hey, that's why we have a podcast, right? So we can talk about these things and <laughs> promote the right people. But Bill's very good at, um, you know, mentioning these people and, and, and pointing out the stuff. And it's a very interesting um stuff like the whole stuff about the blob that was fascinating you know yeah there's some good stories yeah some very good stories so um and he's such a nice he's just such a nice guy yeah yeah solid very very nice and very gracious with his time as well very because i was worried i always worry when i you know when we teach talk to these people that you know that we're we're, you know they're giving us their time and uh i always make sure that you know it's very clear that we're sincere about what it is we're doing we would have a conversation it's not just a, a series of questions like some kind of you know rinse and repeat process um you know we go we, we kind of grasp the nettle of all that kind of stuff and you know he's very gracious and very nice with it so i'm, I'm so grateful to you bill that you know we, we, we're both we, when when, it, when the call finished you and i just looked at each other and we're like oh my god you know another yeah amazingly successful kind of chat that even if nobody heard i would still be really stoked about so that's what these things are supposed to be about i think you know excited and childlike yeah it was it was a great episode bill thank you so much for your time and your expertise and hope we get a chance to do it again soon and now take a listen here it is all right so where would you like to start I don't know about you, Todd. I, I, I'm quite interested in just bringing up the notion of one of the things that I think can happen on set is if people don't understand, and I had this quite recently on a job, if people don't understand what it is you do, they may not give it enough uh, time or credit. Do you know what I mean? If you do a good job of hiding something or making something up, they don't really understand what the makeup department can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about that. And it certainly comes into play, I think, with what, you know, your digital makeup group about correcting things. But there's a lot of things that happen in makeup that aren't necessarily obvious. <laughs> and yet, so if you do a good job of hiding something, um, people don't necessarily understand or they, you know, they won't necessarily give you the right amount of time to prep something because you you know what it is you're trying to do. The story I tell about, about that, I think it, it's, it aligns as why Dick Smith didn't get an Academy Award for The Exorcist is because everybody thought that Max von Sydow was actually that old, didn't realize he was wearing makeup. Sure, sure. Well, yeah. I mean, there's well, there's a lot of that. <clears throat> um, I think it's a I think it's actually a bigger question or conversation, um, um, only because 
I think a lot of it stems from who first. Well, I mean, you bring up Rick Baker, but Rick, Rick will be the first one to tell you he's not. Um, uh, and, and back in the old days, it was probably he didn't have the reputation yet, you know, or, or you know, Dick Smith or whatever. Uh, but Rick and Dick, Rick will be the first person to tell you he's not a great uh, talker. You know, he's not a great like, um, you know, uh, um, playing this business part of it all. And, you know, he's an artist and he wants to get to work and do the work. And and as, as you know, Steve Johnson used to be the same way and just accept it. Just let me do my job and 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 get out of my way. <laughs> and don't realize that there's this other there's this big business there and that there's a game you have to play and i've always believed in part of that game is um getting everybody to respect your position and your work right so i start and and this why i say it's a bigger conversation it it goes to the person goes to the artist and the artist immediately starting a job starting prep the design process uh, and commanding a respect for what he's doing or she's doing. Um, um, because there are artists who go in and they, um, you know, they don't assert themselves enough. They don't um, apply themselves properly to a certain project and they, they may get kind of run over and they, or dismissed as, you know, let's face it, insignificant. Um, and there are some of us who work as hard at that part of it, you know, as the as the the projection of our craft than the craft itself. Sometimes, you know, um, you know, yes, you could be doing the simplest thing, but I go out of my way on jobs to let everybody know right from the beginning that whatever I do is going to be really important and as important to the production as and as the DP. You know, so when I'm on set. Um, you know, and, and, the, and the way I present myself and present our department, you know, uh, most people think I'm the producer or I'm obviously somebody very important, even people who don't know us, you know, and so and when I get involved in something or you go look at something, um, it's, it's must be important, you know, like, you know, the, you know, uh, and, and, and you set a standard from, from the very beginning with the ADs and with the production and the producers and the, you know, there's a there's a there's a way of doing it that no matter what you do, it's taken seriously, you know, and not dismissed. And I don't think and that's something I think that's got to be taught to people or you or you learn it, obviously, through experience or you see somebody who does command that presence or that respect has the presence, commands the respect. And you go, wow. No, I think the person that exemplified that was Stan Winston. You know, I think Stan could have been putting a fake nose on somebody. But Stan was like, he made sure he was the like the most important, you know, the biggest person on that set, you know. And I think there are guys like I think Jeff Don, you know, is that way. I think um, uh, Christian Tinsley is that way. You know, there are people who kind of they they set, a, a, you know, the standard right out of the gate and say, OK, here's what we're doing. Here's what I'm going to be doing. I respect you. Respect what I'm doing. Give me my time. You know, and 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 the second that doesn't happen, you let them know. Like, let's not forget. You know, let's let's not forget. So, you know, uh, it surprises me sometimes on jobs where uh, you know we're being treated as well as we are. And I've been told back, they go, "Well, look how professional you guys are. I mean, look how you know you guys just seem important. <laughs> you know, regardless of what you're doing, it could be regular makeup. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and yet there are those people, Donald Moat is a, is a great example. You know, um, he, Donald commands, a, uh, he has a presence and he commands a respect with the production and with the studio and whoever he's working with, you know, very well respected. And sadly, I think over the years, a lot of, there's a lot of people practicing our craft that whether they don't have that capability or they don't try, you know, to, to have that capability and, and, and they have a lot of uh, problems because of it, you know? Um, so I always try to, whenever I have work with people, you try to, you know, instill that in people, look, you're going to go off on your own jobs. You know, when I, I have assistants or interns and, you know, when you go off and, and one day, you know, start running shows and, and uh, you know, don't forget us little people, you know, you know, be, you know, come, you know, be respectful to everyone and command that respect, you know, don't demand it, but, but be the type of person that, you know, um, you, you would want to work with, you know, and, and um, uh, it's amazing how, 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 how well that works in our business. Well, that's great advice. And I think it, it um, requires a conscious effort on, on our part, because I think as artists, a lot of it are, a lot of us, or if not most of us um, are, are some somewhat introverted and self-conscious about things and a little, little on the timid side. And it, it requires digging deep and finding something that you're not accustomed to, to wielding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, there are many people in our business who, you know, uh, uh, let's say I, you know, one, one of the, I think the greatest artists our business has ever seen, Matt Rose and Matt, um, uh, w- I'm sure would say he was not a people person, you know, <laughs> he, you know, didn't become a makeup artist, although he was a brilliant makeup artist because he couldn't stand actors, you know, like, you know, like, you know, have a talk to Kazu. He'll tell you the same thing. You know, he has a problem, you know, with actors and or with the, you know, the 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 rigors of a production, you know, and how people are, you know, just doesn't want to deal with it. He's an artist, you know, wants to do his work and just leave, you know. Um, it is hard for some people. There is a reason why certain designers have done well or um, department heads and supervisors, you know, because those are the people who, uh, know how to play that part of the game. There, it, it is a very small group that can do both. You know, I know great con, uh, designer department heads and supervisors who, you know, I, I don't know if I'd put them at the top of our artistic pile, but yet they do that job really well and they hire well. You know, I'll hire. You know, I, I've always said, you know, it's like I want to hire people better than me because it's only going to make me look better. You know, you you hire up. You know, so they're right. going to hire the best, you know, artists and sculptors or applicators or, you know, um, uh, you know, when I did Deadpool 2 and I realized on Deadpool 1, I'd done so much stuff myself. It was kind of overwhelming. And Deadpool 2 had so much more work. I was like, I need I, I want to find a painter who's way better than me. I want to find, you know, makeup artists who are better than me. You know, I mean, to do some of this other stuff, you know, and and um, and that and that's the job of a good but that's the position of a good boss, you know, a good supervisor, you know, you're there to, you know, to stack the deck in your favor. Um, it's hard when on smaller jobs where it's just you, or it's just, you know, the quiet guy or, you know, or like, um, uh, you know, again, uh, you know, I, working all those years for Steve Johnson, it was like, Steve was so focused on doing, making whatever they were doing as good as it could possibly be. 
and put and, and pushing the envelope and and you know breaking out of the box and he was so focused on that that production and the business side of it was you know uh in 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 his in his you know words you know fuck those guys you know fuck them <laughs> and to be like well yeah but you can't <laughs> you can't exactly say that because i'd usually be the one dealing with them you know and and sure. um and so i it's that's where i learned that okay there's another side to this and in order for them to respect us and let us do that work I have to play this other game. So I spent so much of my time on all those jobs with Steve refining that talent that that became, and I realized how important that was, you know, uh, that, that it's wound up benefiting me, but I, you're right. You know, Todd, you, you do, you see it's, it's some people are not capable of it. And I've seen incredibly talented artists do jobs and just get bulldozed because they lack that, you know, standing up for themselves or, yeah. or asserting themselves. And it's, frustrating i mean i've even gone out of my way to say like i'll, I'll call somebody <laughs> you know yeah. and i'll have a conversation for you because you shouldn't be treated that way you know and, and they don't appreciate what you're doing um and um it, it is it's a hard part of our business and it and and sadly with the more younger inexperienced filmmakers it, it becomes even more crucial you know i think and beneficial to somebody yeah yeah you gotta you gotta stand up for yourself it, what you were just saying is kind of similar to you know, I, I ran um, a 99-seat equity theater in Hollywood in the early 90s. Uh, I was the producing director, and my partner was the artistic director. He would bring bring productions in, and he had a way of kind of kind of turning people off. And so my job was he'd he'd bring bring them in, and my job was to keep them and get them to come back. It's good you learn balance, right, Stuart? I mean, you learn. It, especially at the, you know, or the, your leads, you know, or unless you're somebody just stuck in a corner working on something, the people standing out in front, the, you know, the, the lead singers, you know, you want, you want a good balance, you know, sometimes, well, this guy's abrasive. Well, this guy, maybe this, he or she won't be abrasive, you know, like you, you learn to, you know, sometimes the better shows are the people that you work for that are good, are good at that stuff, you know, yes. um, <clears throat> they're not being beaten down. Yeah. They've learned how, how to balance it somehow mm -hmm. yeah i think it's really good advice just to bring that up, you know as a thing that it's a thing you have to actively do just like anything else i think uh, you know the thing is when you when you start out you're unlikely to be given like you know the the, the top job you know you'll be assisting somebody else in some capacity so you get a chance to to see how the people who are assessing themselves are doing it and to be aware that this is something you need to do if you want to be in their position and mm -hmm. so you can kind of play at it a little bit or just, you know, try and emphasize in whatever capacity you're able to, to, to get a feel for it. Because I think it's that discomfort that people dislike, especially I was speaking to students recently and a lot of them at a college, you know, the younger generation, it's a different kind of uh, atmosphere for them, I think. And yeah. it's, it's, their, their feelings are valid, but they've got to understand obviously that if they're, going to be hired like you say it's down to you defending your position from the outset by starting out by being competent what you do and then defending it rather not in an aggressive way but you just like you wouldn't let someone just take your wallet or you know or something <laughs> you know well we've also i mean we have also earned that i mean we've been in the business long enough where we've earned the right to you know assert ourselves and say look I, I i i have a lot of experience i know what i'm talking about trust me when i say i'm working you know where i'm going to do the best work i can for you and um 
I, 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 you know, respect your job. Please respect what we're doing. It's harder for the younger generation, this particular generation right now, who has a very serious sense of entitlement. <laughs> and they expect that they'll get that, you know, right out of the gate. And, and, and we know because we started from the bottom, you know, I mean, uh, um, as, as, as much talent as I thought I had when I started, you know, I, I found myself, you know, I was seeming at Rick Baker's, you know, and, and doing it badly <laughs> sometimes. So, you know, and I, I, you learn, you learn, sure. you know, uh, you, and you learn, you get beaten down and you learn the right way to do things and, and um, you make a lot of mistakes. And, and I was, re- I was very grateful for, you know, the, the steps it took me to get to where I am, you know, a lot of people in today's climate with, the internet and social media and, and thinking that they paint a bunch, they painted a bunch of faces and now they're ready for the big time. You know, they don't, they don't understand, you know, the process that we went through to get to the yeah. mindset that we can now be in the industry and deal with it and, and yeah. garner respect. Well, that, that um, entitlement generation is now it's, it's, it's interesting that, that they feel that, yet they don't have the thick skin that comes with the criticism they're invariably going to get because they don't know as much as they think they do. I think it's a tough one. I mean, there are, there are entitled people, but there are also people I think who are nervous and, and worried about stuff. And that, that comes from just not knowing your job well enough. We're talking about people that are competent at what they do, who then not refuse to, 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 to defend it but they're, they're they're not maybe made of that material that can and i think that's where you get that natural pecking order you get the people that can and we've all known it there are people i work with who i started out with who are now you know running shows um because they're capable of doing that and i know i'm not like that and i'm happy with my position you know what i mean i i'm happy to not be that but i know that that structure has to exist in order to provide work for me do you yeah. know what I mean? And, I, I couldn't work they, on Game they, of Thrones unless Barry Gow was, you know, tough enough to but I have meetings. Him and Sarah would defend budgets and clear things. And that gives 25 people a job. And that right. has to be that way. And, and, and you know, and look, and look, Barry's been at this a long time, right? I mean, he worked his way up just like you. He was in the shop. He was a shop guy and he worked his way up and, and you know, got to that point where now he, you know, you, you get a monicum of success and you, it allows you to you know, get, you know, get that respect and, and, um, um, and, and, you know, and, and he's, uh, you know, he obviously not one of them, but there are people, like I said, at the top who may not be the best artists, but they're so good at that, you know, and, and when people always ask for me for advice or, you know, I want to get into business and what do you think and what can you recommend? It's like, well, you know, yes, um, you know, practice everything, try to get really good at, you know, the art, but number one is people, you know, yeah. um, learn how to be with people, learn how to, you know, be respectful and to carry yourself in a way that uh, you're very professional and you know the business. And that's a lot of that comes from experience, you know. Yeah. And, and not having sort of meltdowns on social media on a regular yeah. basis is that kind of stuff as well, which I see yeah. people. And then the next week is like, have you got any work? <laughs> like, no, I don't want to near my tool shops. <laughs> um yeah, no, I think that's true. Yeah, because it doesn't seem obvious. And I think that's that's the thing. I think anything that you were going to pursue to any degree, if you want to be seriously successful, those are the people you're up against. That those those would be your peers. So you would have yeah. to be of a you know, and I, I think it's a call to arms to, you know, 
muscle up and 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 and, and toughen up if you want to do it. Yeah, well, if and you're going to be start early, like you would set, with, you know, if you're going to be working on set, we as makeup artists, we spend more time around actors than anybody else on the crew. Yeah, and, but it is that thing you, of like, and if you can't have a that. rapport, you you know, you've got to rethink your your game plan. I when he, yeah, it's I think a people right. business. Yeah, I think it's got to be fostered as well. And but you know, if you're going to learn how to do a Marcel wave or something, you also need to know how to carry yourself as well. And some people have been more natural than others, and that may be a hard fact that that's going to limit how far you get in the business. Because if you can't run a shop, then you, you know you're going to be at a certain level, and you've got to be happy. Like I am, and I'm happy with where I am. I don't I don't feel like a a jilted boss because I'm not of that, no, that and material, that's not and that's a, fine. I'm not I'm, yeah. I'm not frustrated by that. So it's not an sometimes not an enviable position. I mean, a lot of people would not want the misery. I remember Rick Baker telling me when, you know, we were, um, uh, you know, I I worked my way up. You know, I I started. I was hired. I was the last sculptor hired on Gremlins too, um, and I I sculpted a pair of ears sculpted some, you know, like I was, I was sculpting, everything was really done. And I was just sculpting like, um, uh, like, you know, like Pete parts, you know, like extra additional parts, big ears, little ears, you know, all sorts of things to try to make the background gremlins, different fins, all sorts of weird things. And then it was like, well, then, you know, work on these display pieces and, you know, paint, maybe paint a couple of these and let's see how you do there. And, and then we'll put you in seaming and then we'll put you over, you know, I was like everywhere. Then we'll, you know, we'll try you in painting. So then I started painting and then, you know, uh, and then eventually Aaron Sims and I started painting everything. Like we were painting, you know, if it wasn't a lead character, all the lead characters were painted by their, their lead artist. you know, Aaron and I painted every, almost everything else. You know, we, you know, like all the, I mean, thousands of gremlins we painted, uh, just the two of us in a room. And, and by the end, and then when it got to, you know, okay, we're going to start, Rick made a deal to, uh, for us to puppeteer on set. Those of us who, those of the of the shop who were, um, uh, you know, savvy enough or had the talent, you know, for puppeteering, and you know, he made some kind of deal with SAG, you know, because obviously it was like we're going to need hundreds of SAG puppeteers, and production was like freaking out. And Rick was like, "Well, maybe there's an there's a loophole that my crew can come in and puppeteer a lot of, you know, you have lead puppeteers for all SAG, but then the all the background could maybe." some of our shop people and so he made this deal so we we had all these classes to see who was a good puppeteer and and i had i had uh worked my way up through that to be one of the lead puppeteers because i you know my in my other life i would have worked at henson's you know i would love to have been a, 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 a muppeteer and i got this opportunity to i was presented with an opportunity to go off and do my own show which you know as a as a, as a kid and growing up and idolizing rick baker and Rob Boutine and all these guys who did these shows and and I wanted to be that that's what I wanted I wanted my own shop and I wanted the I wanted the the special makeup effects dream and here I'm getting the uh, presented with this opportunity to to run a show which in my eyes was a huge show with lots of creatures and prosthetics and it was called the boneyard it's horrible but it was being it was written and directed by James Cummings you know who had done house and um, uh, all the effects for House and had worked on the thing. And he was just a lovely guy, James, um, and very talented and strange invaders. You know, he's he got great style and he really wanted to be a director, a writer, director. So <clears throat> he had written this script and I had done a couple of little things for him before I worked at Rick's. And he wanted me to run the show, design it and run it. And I was just blown away. Here was my big chance. And I was 
you know, 20 going on 21. And I'd set like a timeline for myself, like by 21, Rob Bettine was 21 when he did the howling. So like, I have to be, you know, I, I got to do a show. So here's my chance to, you know, meet my, you know, achieve my goal and my dream. And, and Rick pulled me in and I told him, and he pulled me into the office and he sat me down and he, like sitting on the desk, you know, and he, and he goes, you don't want to do this. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, look, you got a good job here. You're the one going to be one of the lead. We already been on set puppeteering because you're like one of the, you become one of the lead guys. You're really great. He goes, you're going to hate doing your own show. <laughs> you're going to, you know, trust me. It's not what it's, you know, made out to be. It's going to be miserable. You're going to, you know, it's, it's, you know, here you have no responsibility. You just get to play and make stuff and play. And he goes, and I take all the shit. He goes, you're going to wind up, you know, take, you know, realizing that's not what you are dreaming. And I'm like, and of course I'm like, yes, but I have to do it. You know, like, that's my thing. You know, I have to do it. You did it. <laughs> you know, I'm sure you put up with all that bullshit. And so he said, okay, you're never going to work for me again. <laughs> oh yeah. No, he was, wow. he was mad. I mean, and, and Rick just being Rick, obviously he's very sarcastic <laughs> and he goes, fine. I don't ever want to see you again. <laughs> so, and then he laughed and I was just like, all right. And he's good luck. You know, you're going to hate it. <laughs> and so I did it. And truth be told, it was a nightmare. And I, I, I loved half of it. I hated the second half of it. My whole crew quit. I almost died from the pneumonia. It was horrible. It was, it was horrible, 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 probably as bad as it could get. But yet I learned so much, you know, I learned, I, maybe I don't want to run a shop, <laughs> you know, cause it, cause I did, I, we opened up a whole new shop in South Carolina, North Carolina, sorry. We opened up a shop. We staffed it. The very first person I hired was Richie Alonzo. <laughs> because <laughs> I'd worked with Richie on the blob and I, you know, I brought in all these guys from different, I had like, you know, 15 people. I hired people from Henson's in New York and, and um, had a full shop of people and we made all this crazy stuff. And, but it was, it was an incredible learning experience, but a nightmare. And when I went back to LA, we were there for six, seven months. Uh, and I moved to North Carolina to do it. I, the first person I, I made an appointment to see was Rick and told him that he was right. <laughs> And that it was really hard. It was a nightmare and everybody quit and, you know, like, you know, everything that I wanted, wanted was destroyed. And, you know, like every cliched bad effects thing that could go wrong, went wrong, you know? And like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was like, Oh my God. Like, like he, our director was a makeup effects guy. Right. So nobody knows more of makeup effects than this guy. And we made a giant 12 foot tall wear poodle werewolf poodle monster but like you would make a giant werewolf you know it was my howling werewolf you know and it was a poodle and it was just awesome. i remember seeing this in fangoria <laughs> yeah 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 and we and we made these um uh, uh tom uh williamson tom williamson maybe he made these gorgeous um uh hand like you know uh, mechanisms you know hand mechanisms these giant paws you know that were like the american werewolf paws and they were they spread and they you know fantastic you know they were just awesome the very first shot, they, they shot him breaking through a door and they, they, it was a, they tried to pre-score the door, didn't work. So, and I, of course I, I'm begging and pleading, please don't make this the first shot. I don't want the hands to get destroyed. We have to, you know, and he's like, we have to do it. And he was stressed. And of course they completely destroyed 
are beautiful hand mechanisms that never worked again <laughs> in the very first shot. So you never see them work in the movie. And half the movie, he's just like floppy. floppy and, uh, but just, and every day, more shit like that. And so yeah. again, I laughed and I told Rick and I go, you were right. It was crazy and nightmare. And I would have had much more fun in Gremlins. I have one good picture of me on set with Rick and Joe Dante. <laughs> That's oh, my good memory. Cool. But to, to our point, you know, I learned so much getting thrown into that fire of what I w- wanted to do, what I didn't want to do. I backed off that dream real quick for years. Like I, you know, I went to work for Steve. I literally went to, uh, you know what? I don't know if I want to do that now. I, I don't, you know, I could, do I want to open up a shop and come back and be that guy? And that was hard. Like I, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and I would, the only time I could do my work was like four o'clock in the morning when everybody was gone and I would sculpt stuff. And I'm like, this is miserable. So I, I got hired by Steve and for eight years, you know, I was just Steve's, you know, I paint and sculpt and just do, you know, shop stuff and slowly, but surely towards the end, he started letting me run shows and he would go off and do something. And I would just be the guy. And, and here I am now running a shop again, but it was, now it was a big shop with a lot of people and multiple shows going on. And I was overseeing everything. And, and I was like, God, I'm, now I'm doing it again. And I'm not really liking it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like, I'm not liking the, I'm the Rick Baker guy or I'm the Steve Johnson guy. And, and, you know, we got, you know, that's when the stand happened and we got the opportunity, well, I was doing the effects, doing all the prosthetics and we, we went on set and it was a wonderful experience. And a year later, the shining happened. And it was at that point, I realized, you know, do I want to be Rick Baker? Do I want to be Steve Johnson? I want to run the big shop and have all the guys and the drama and the, you know, this and the, that, and the, or do I love being on set and do I love applying the makeups and do I love that? Cause you know, there's six months of the shop and then there's like a week of the set, you know, there's, there's that disconnect and, and uh, like, well, there's the set is really where I love. And, and I, I looked at, so I, I shifted my focus at that point from, is that my dream or look at somebody like V V Neil and like what she was doing I'm like, V's winning Oscars and everything. She's never stepped foot in a shop. <laughs> you know, she's not a shop person. She's just applying makeups on set and running shows and doing makeup, which ultimately was my first love, you know, of course, of course some stage makeup book. And, you know, that's, you know, that was it. And I thought I maybe, maybe I'm shifting what I want to do and do and focus on that. And so I asked, I begged the director, Mick Garris of The Shining, who we'd done the stand with, can I run the whole show? I've never done it before but I think I could department head and run the whole show and I'll get, I'll hire somebody to do the female lead, but there's so much effects in the movie. It makes more sense for me to run the show and do the effects and everything. And he let me do it. <clears throat> that was my first show. Amazing. And we won Emmys for it and it, and it worked out great. And then it just snowballed from there. And it, and eventually like, you know, V hired me to go do a couple of things with her. And I, I eventually told Steve, I'm like, I'm done. I'm out. I'm out of the shop and I'm just going to do this. This is my, what I want to do. And that was well, it. The and stress I was level is different. You know, some people thrive on stress and not many artists do. Yeah. It, the stress level in the shop. Yeah. The stress level in the shop. Well, now to be fair, I was working for Steve. <laughs> who's, who's, and I love him like a brother and he's one of the most amazing artists I've ever met in my life. And there's nothing I did that he didn't make better, which I, you know, used to piss me off, but he, he would, you know, the stress level was really high and, mm-hmm. and it would drive me crazy. <laughs> so when 
and and uh, there's a lot of stress on set, no mistake. It's but it's a different kind of stress, like you said, and um, and I can handle that stress. <laughs> like I feel more in control. In the shop, there was too many other things that were out of my control. My last big effects job for Steve was really what did me in, and I'm like, that's it, I'm done. And that was Species. Um, mm. We were doing the female Giger alien uh, designed by Giger, which I then redesigned to make it practical, you know, to actually like make it, make it buildable. Um, and um, it's really funny. If you ever looked at the making of species book, it's like a Giger book. Beautiful. It's got like the pink cover and everything. He, he, I had redrew a lot of his drawings to, to, to understand it and to show everybody what we were making. Cause I art directed the whole thing. And he, he took my drawings around the book that he sketched over and obviously wrote his name on it. And I thought, Oh, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> um, it's, yeah. It's amazing. Like you said, I mean, the thing is with all of this is that, you know, you, you, you took a punt, you took a chance um, even against advice, but you, you had this thing you had to try. And even yeah. though it was rough, you see it through. And I think, I think that's the important thing is it's how you respond to the circumstance because it's very easy to find yourself in a world of hurt and go, I'm just going to drop it like a hot cake. But it's like, yeah, but you need to see it, especially if, you know, a job, it's like at some capacity, you're going to want to come back into the industry. So you've, you've got to see it through. And it is how you respond to that. I think that, that says is a that lot about per- you, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. That perseverance and that, you know, I mean, by the, like I said, by the end of the show, I was the only one standing for my whole crew was gone. Everyone was gone. I had pneumonia and I was on my, that last day, I was on set well before COVID. <laughs> like I was just dying, you know, I'd lost weight and I was making sure my, the gag worked and I was there with the puppet and everything. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a quitter. I'm going to make sure that this movie, you know, that I, my name's on it, you know, I'm going to make sure everything looks cool, but it, 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 it had me reassess, but the, the amount of wisdom and experience I got from that one job was insane you know um no you can't buy that kind of experience i mean and i've been lucky i mean i've had a few of those actually my first big movie that i worked on you know after doing all the little low budget you know crappy things was the blob and the blob was somewhat similar in that it was at the time a very big practical effects movie and um i was hired by lyle conway as as one of the lead blob people you know there was like seven of us in the beginning eight of us i think and 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 then in in one giant shop on hollywood boulevard off of hollywood boulevard and and split right down the middle it was like a sixty thousand square foot shop uh, or building and there was a line literally literally we took a white line (laughs) of tape down the center of the shop and we were on one side and tony gardner and all the makeup effects were on the other side and and he tony hired all these people that he had worked with and so i would just sit there and i'd look over across the line (laughs) and see everybody that i'd ever read about you know he had everybody over there you know sean McEnroe and you know brian wade mike's missing and you know and shannon shay and like all these just the who's who of makeup effects at the time and I was so jealous that that's where I wanted to be. And instead I was on our side playing with slime, <laughs> trying, trying to come up with what the hell the blob was, which no one, none of us knew. Even Lyle had no idea. He was only hired because he had just done Little Shop of Horrors and it had tentacles. And the, and the producer thought, well, the blob has tentacles. He's the perfect guy, you know, and he made this big practical thing that had tentacles. So he's the guy. And he had no idea. <laughs> it's like no concept. Yeah, literally the first day 
his his directive to to everybody was uh, of the eight of us. Everybody had a specific uh, a position. So Dave Kinlan and Mark Satrakian were hired as the two mechanical designers. They were going to do tentacles and everything. It's, it's where I met Mark, who's one of my closest friends. So he's like, okay, you guys are going to, you guys set up a mechanical shop. We're going to make a lot of tentacles. Okay. They're, they're done. Um, guy by the name of Doug Turner, excuse me, Douglas Turner, who is a great all around effects guy. And uh, he's like, we goes, Doug, you're going to be the, our liaison to Greg Jean, who's in charge of all the miniatures, you know, the great Greg Jean. Um, we're going to do some miniature work. You'll be responsible for uh, coordinating with him and uh, getting breakdowns of all the miniatures we're going to be doing. And um, uh, and you'll start there. Then uh, Richie Alonzo, that's where I met Richie. And he's like, Richie, Dick Smith gave me uh, uh, this product that I want you to get and experiment with. It was the stuff that they put in ice packs, highly toxic. <laughs> it was like this jelly material. And he wanted Richie to get it and play with it and figure it out. And if it's worth pursuing or because it looked cool. He goes, I, I saw some of it and it looked real stretchy and weird looking. So that was a way. And, and he said, you could, um, and there's a scene, sculpt a maquette. There's the scene where the blob comes out of the sink and drags the guy into the sink. He goes, sculpt a little maquette of that to show what that might look like. Great. And then I think, and then another guy was Dave Matherly. And I think he had Dave uh, worked for Beekler at the time. And I think Dave uh, sculpted something as well. Then it was me and I was the last person. And he goes, okay, Bill, I'm like, wait, I'm so excited to hear what I'm going to do. We had like four months of prep, I think, before they started shooting. And he goes, Bill, there's a scene where the blob attacks a woman who's in a phone booth and it covers the phone booth and it crushes the phone booth and her. And then it goes on the sidewalk and it goes into a gutter and disappears into the sewer. And, and I just looking at him and I go, okay. And he goes, figure out how to do that scene. <laughs> and I was like, well, well, what, well, what is the blob? He goes, he goes, I don't know. You come up with something, come up with five things and I'll pick one. That was it. That was my first day. <laughs> of, of, you know, and, and that was my first big experience. Like, okay, this is big movie. This is how, this is must be how it works. You know, I love and respect problem solving one Oh one. He's like a genius, right? That guy was amazing. Everything he'd ever done. And so I, he must know what he's doing. You know, <laughs> like I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so that job, you can imagine how crazy, horrible that job was. And, and the same kind of thing, everybody quit that job. That job had more turnover, I think, than any job in, in effects history. Uh, but right. by the very end of that job, which was nine months later, after prep and shooting and post-production and all the miniature stuff, it was like eight or nine months, uh, myself and Mark Satrakian were the only two people who went from the very first day to the very last day. Went the distance. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, again, I learned, <laughs> I learned a lot. Um, oh man, yeah. that's it though, isn't it? It's, 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 the, it's that, the way to the do it to suck that up. I mean, as well, like I, you see a lot of people, I see a lot of questions on forums where people are basically asking things that are like, well, you should know this if you've taken the job or what have you done so far to try and figure it out? And when you hear a question like that, you know, a thing like that, where you're like, just figure it out. It's like, I think this is a thing. I think a lot of people that are doing well are people that were like stump, you know, stuff was dumped on the table and they stuck with it and figured it out rather than just immediately on my, the first thing I'm going to do is ask everybody else, you know, as a, as a knee-jerk response. Yeah. We're problem solvers, you know, I mean, that's really what we do. And our job is to make it look cool. 
right? I mean, yes, we have, you know, we, we have all these, the capacity of all these, of all these uh, facets of our job, drawing, painting, sculpting, uh, uh, crafts, you know, mechanics, um, um, science, um, mold making, you know, there's like a million costuming, whatever, making eyes, making teeth, you know, there's a thousand things we have, you know, a capacity to do. And some of us have learned a lot of it or most of it, hair work. And your job is to, okay, now how can I compile all this stuff and make it look cool? You know, I mean, We've all seen people compile all this stuff and it not look cool. I mean, our what we would think our job is how can I gather all that together, make it look cool, whatever it may be, have it serve the script and the story, make the director happy, the producer happy, the actor happy. And 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 we're not great right out of the gate. You know, first try is not the best, second try is sometimes not the best, sometimes third try or fourth try. I was always impressed. One of my earliest jobs, I remember I was asked to go assist. I got a call when I was working at Steve's and his business manager called the shop saying, I need a makeup artist who can go help one of my clients who's on a show and he just needs somebody to babysit set for him because he's working, you know, 24 hours a day in the shop and on set and he, he's doing everything himself and he just needs somebody to babysit a makeup. And I'm like, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll go do it. So I go, I'm told to report to this, you know, downstage and I'm just going to babysit this makeup so this guy can go home, get a couple hours of sleep. And run foam all night and come in with another makeup. And it was Kevin Haney. <laughs> and this is my first time. Well, I met Kevin. Kevin stopped by. I'll never forget. Dick Smith came to visit the blob shop. He came to visit Lyle. And so we that was a that was the first time I'd met Dick in person. I talked to him on the phone when I was like 15. I cold called him like we all did. <laughs> talked to him for like an hour. So this was my first time meeting a person and he brought Kevin Haney with him. And Kevin Haney was like, I don't know, he looked like he was 22 years old. Um, probably older than that at the time because he's older than me. But so I met Kevin before. So when I saw him this day and he looked like he hadn't slept in a month, <laughs> he told me that this makeup he was doing and it was for a commercial or something. He had done it five times. He had just like re-sculpted it and remolded it the night before. <laughs> and he applied the pieces they were still wet and they, they hadn't uh, been baked. The molds weren't baked out. So oh. the pieces would still, they weren't, you know, fluffy, you know, they were still compressing. Oh my God. <laughs> and he goes, just keep your eye on it. Don't let anybody touch it. Cause it may not, <laughs> it may not respond. Uh, it may not come back. Um, and so I'm like, Oh my God, I go, you need sleep, dude. And I go, I don't think you're making good decisions. <laughs> and he goes, I have to, I have to finish this other makeup. That's got to work tomorrow. I'm like, you need to learn how to say no to jobs. Like if you don't have enough time, <laughs> but I was, I was amazed. Like, here's a guy who, I don't, I don't know. He may have won an Oscar at that point for driving Miss Daisy. You know, he's got a great reputation. I mean, Kevin's a great makeup artist, but I was just amazed how, you know, here he's just, he's not satisfied. He just keeps redoing stuff. Like I go, didn't wow. you test it? He goes, I did test it. I don't like, and I just kept, you know, I, then I found out Kevin just redoes everything like five times, you know? And, um, you know, I tell, I tell everybody, even on shows that I do, you know, and, and they go, they expect it's perfection right out of the gate. And it's like, well, that's great. That's like a hail Mary, if you can do that, but you know, odds are you're going to learn something and you're going to adjust it and you're going to do it again. And you're going to probably want to adjust that. And, you know, I mean, the darkest hour, it's probably one of the finest prosthetic makeups we've ever seen. Kazu did it five times, you know, he re kept re-sculpting it, you know, he kept changing it, you know, and, um, you know, we, that's what we do. You know, you keep, you learn and you keep, you know, trying to better, we better ourselves and it never ends. 
Yeah, I think if you have the mindset that what you've done is right and then it should be good, then I guess it pains you to have to consider re-sculpting it. But it sounds like, you know, like, like Kevin Hay was doing, it's just like, no, I want perfection. And I'm, I'm not looking at the things that are done. I'm looking at what it's got to be, which is... Yeah. Which is a testament of how much effort that guy's willing to put in. You know, well, it can, it can be frustrating, not only for production, but for the artists as well. But I think it's it's really important because, you know, as artists, we're never satisfied with our work. I think that's no, what, but you wish other people could keeps, see this keeps, and know keeps that, you know? pushing us forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's that's one of those things that Bill Bill was talking about, that production doesn't recognize some of the some of what goes into yeah. getting things you know what what you see on set getting applied there were lots of iterations and a lot of long sleepless nights to get to that point yeah well it, it, it's true but it's true for the more you know uh, the more you work in a business you realize you know uh, yes we're artists but i look at all the other crafts you know set design and and props and they they kind of do the same exact thing they're yeah. redoing sets the night before because it's not right and somebody the production designer didn't like it i mean i don't think there's ever an effect or a gag or a prop or anything we made at steve's that the night before it was due on set he didn't just rip it to shreds and we started from scratch i mean it <laughs> it literally happened nine times out of ten and we would be redoing it you know, he had a, a, a wild idea. It, he does it. It looks like shit. It doesn't work. We got to change it all. You know, like the, the day before, the night before. And yeah. we'd work all through the night. And inevitably, it would be better. You know, he'd see something or he'd make, he'd figure out the one thing it needed. And the, yes, they don't appreciate you or you come in late. Why are you late? And it's like, well, we redid <laughs> we did it from scratch. They don't understand that. And they, they don't appreciate that or whatever. But, I, you know, I would try to go out of my way sometimes and explain it's like, you, you know, you know, look, we're trying to, you know, you don't understand what we did. You know, we're trying to make this as great as it can be and, and shit happens, you know, and, and it, it's hard. Every, every show is different, you know, and I, it got to the point where that's the kind of stuff that eventually did me in. Cause it was just, again, the stress level is, you know, nonstop and very high, you know, when you're, when you do that kind of stuff, I really appreciate now the boss or the people that you meet who are again, and maybe it's experience or maybe it's just a thought process and a design process that they're so meticulous and well thought out that it just kind of goes like clockwork. And the final product is great. You know, I mean, and, 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 and you're, you're very happy to have worked on it and it looks like you're very proud of it. And, you know, and oddly, I, some of the stuff that I've done that I'm most proud of is the stuff I didn't really think too hard on, or I didn't think about it all. And I just did it. And I was like, I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm like, wow, that's actually better than I could have hoped. And the stuff I stressed over and redid five times, I'm never happy with. <laughs> yeah, serendipity. It's it's a it's a gift when you have people when you've got a director and a and a DP who get what you do and and work on set to help make the makeup look as good as possible. You know, we'll we'll adjust camera angles to to take into account that maybe this this edge along the the left hairline isn't isn't quite as good as it can be so we will shift things just a little bit so we don't don't see that and not have to fix it in post yeah i think it's like you were saying uh bill earlier about you know establishing early on you know what you need so it's i guess it would be a, a case of making those points early before you start filming saying all right this is this material. It's going to need this kind of thing. We may have edges. What kind of lighting? This is going to affect it. And making it a point of it's not 
it's not because of me that you're going to have to have these considerations. Anyone who does this is going to have, is going to provide these limitations. So you have to work within them. And by saying that early on, I guess you're kind of sowing the seeds for, you know, you explain it calmly. I mean, I've done similar things with, I suppose, when, when I get job quotes in or something, and it's something I, I probably can't do, but I'll explain just so you know, you know, if you're going to ask people this, to, to quote on this, so they want a fake head or something, maybe mention whether the mouth is open or closed or the eyes are open or closed, because you may not realize this, but you know, the cost of eyes or not having eyes is going to make a big difference. So someone may assume it needs eyes, that kind of thing. And they're often very grateful that you've told them this because it never occurred to them to mention it. And even it just takes five minutes of my time to do it, but it's the kind of thing you could do to help so little professional seeds to kind of help your reputation. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, you realize, and this goes back to the first, our first question and conversation about about you know putting out there and getting that you know uh, that respect going it's like you you realize very quickly that it's not about us that we're it's a collaborative medium that and that uh, we only look good if everybody that we interact with also looks good and does their job well and the better we interact with people and and can get the different departments to work together as a team and support each other the better it is. You know, it's very frustrating you get on a job where the costume designer is working against you or not working with you, or the DP is not working with you or against you, or, you know, it's it's those jobs where everybody gels and gets together. I think some of the stuff that we've all loved throughout the years that we we hold at, at such a high level is because, you know, everybody was firing on all cylinders, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, American Werewolf, The Howling, The Thing, the, like all those movies were were well designed, well made, well shot, well acted, you know, that everything was, you know, and, you know, was, was just perfection, you know, and um, I've seen movies where certain departments lifted up another department, you know, I've seen movies where, you know, the makeups were not that great, but they were shot so beautifully yeah. that they're just flawless and, and, you know, and, and um, uh, so that's, again, in the beginning, like, you know, that's why I say in the beginning during prep, you know, when you're, you're creating these relationships, you know, you're, it's so important for you to, you know, you know, assert that, you know, that, that, that respect and that, you know, we're, we all have to work together and, and be as professional as you can be and, and, and get that machine going, you know, because ultimately the final product, you know, you're all trying to make it as good as possible. Yeah. And, it's not a competition. It's a collaboration. Yeah, and, and there are some people in our business, the artists, who like to think it's all about them. You know, it's like, you know, they're a singular vision and they, you know, it's what I think, you know, and it's like, you realize you're, there's all these other people in the mix, you know, the actor, yeah, director, yeah. The, you yeah. know, this guy, you know, that we have to work well with, you know, and, and the people that succeed are the people that are really good at working well with everybody. They're great collaborators, you know. Yeah. Um, again, I go back to like a Donald Moat type, you know, they're, they're people that just are excel at the collaboration of the medium, you know, which, and, and, and it's so inspiring when you see it done well, you know, yeah. and, and you can turn to, again, I can turn to the greatest artist in our profession and who pisses everybody off and <laughs> just wants to do everything their way. And they don't, you know, they don't work well with others. And a lot of our business is just how well you work with others will is, is how well you're, you're going to succeed. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, just yesterday, Stuart, to what you were saying, I literally had a conversation yesterday about a project that I'm, I have no part in that uh, somebody else, uh, another friend of ours is doing. And 
And this producer was explaining it to me. They just wanted advice, called up for advice. And I, I saw a train wreck coming and I, and I'm like, and I love these guys. And I'm like, you're setting these guys up. They're setting these guys up to fail in a big way. And it's not fair because of what your initial thinking is. And, and I said, I just want you to know that what you're thinking is not going to work and, and you're going to blame them and it's not their fault. And um, so, uh, and so we talked for a while about, you know, why I didn't think it would work and, and, you know, what, but what could work, you know, and, and a better way to approach it maybe. And cause they started getting designs and stuff from, from this team and, and it, they weren't liking it. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not liking it because you're, again, what you're asking not only is, is really difficult, near impossible, but for a lot of reasons, but um, you know, these are really talented, capable guys. I've gotten called into projects to save it or to fix it because the people there that didn't do a good job. And then I got there and I'm like, these are really good people, very talented, very capable. And they, they were not dealing with the production. They weren't having the right conversations and they weren't asking the right questions and, and seeing what the problems were. And, and so production immediately just pivoted, you know, and went to somebody else who they, they knew would have the correct conversation. Mm -hmm. And when I came in, I was like, you need to go back. You, you have the right team. You just need to communicate this better and, and they need to hear it the right way, you know? And so I, it's almost like I brokered the, you know, the conversation. So you, you, they were all on the same page. And now it's like, now go, because now it'll work, you know, yeah. like now that you both know what the issues are, but you, and that's what I was trying to do yesterday. You know, Yeah. You will feel that very keenly from having experienced it firsthand from your jobs where you were at the top of everything, where you, all this shit was flying at you. And it's like, that's kind of why those experiences are so important because you could just get slapped around with these things and run away screaming and never come back. Or you could, you know, it hurts when it happens, but over time you think about these things. And, and then when you see it kind of happening somewhere else, you go, I recognize the shape of that shit. I know what that's all exactly. about. And then you kind of bring it out. And sadly, that's not the, that's not the kind of information that's being taught in, in school. No, I think, yeah, you, know, you can, right. you can only hard, get it. Hard to you teach can, it. You can I mean, only get it through, through yeah, hands-on experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just being open, you know, being, being open and observant you know, and, you know, it's great to just sit there, you know, and not pay attention to anything if that's what you want to do. But if you have any gumption to like, you know, I, I, maybe I want that guy's job, you know, maybe I want to run a thing, you know, then you, you observe, you know, watch how things are done, you know, watch how people who are successful do things, you know, and then sure. you learn from that, you know, or that didn't go well. Why didn't that go well? <laughs> and now, you know, you learn, you know, and, and again, when this, and when the stuff, you know, it starts, you know, the stuff starts flying, you, 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 you kind of, you pull from all that, you know, that you, you've seen and watched and learned and, you know, um, uh, as, as invaluable as, as how good you can sculpt a wrinkle. <laughs> Absolutely. That, I mean, uh, no. and it's like you were saying, with, like, like, you know, when there's camera and other things, it's all, or, or wardrobe or something, it's like, knowing a bit about what they do so you're not just navel gazing worrying about your own thing you maybe talk to people and ask them how's their day going what kind of problems you're having or you see something where you help out i had a job a year ago it's a job you helped me out with todd where we did that makeup mm. digitally and or the life scanning digitally and um uh it was quite a big fat neck on the appliance and so the costume may rub and I hadn't met the costume department a lot of these prosthetic things as well you know you sort of hired as a 
as a as a you know as a freelancer to do something so i'm not in the production from the start i'm just in, brought sure. in for a couple of weeks to do something i do all my workshop and then i go in for the makeup test and so i said oh uh, just to let you know I, I i started with you know the neck i i sealed it really well and made sure that there was no grease paint on the neck because i didn't want to rub on the collar because i know it's a white shirt and um and i just wanted to check with you about and she was really nice and they explained oh we've made the collar a little extra so it wasn't too tight and all this kind of thing but i and it was that kind of little tiny little things like that but it you know how how bad for me would it have been if the collar was too tight and then when he twisted it broke and how bad for them if they'd i know hired a period costume and i'd ruined it by putting makeup on it those Mm -hmm. tiny little things that aren't necessarily obvious but it's that could be the same with camera with sound with all sorts of things and i think having a a genuine interest and when you get the chance to speak to people who are willing to share you can talk a little about how lights work or what lenses are doing this and that and the other and so you end up with a much more rounded knowledge yeah i think even if you're even if it's not something you intend to do yourself being able to speak the same language like this happened a lot with um visual effects stuff you know with my background in, in visual effects being able to to talk to the guys who are going to be do, doing digital work even if i'm not going to be doing the digital work i know what's involved in in making it happen so i can talk to them to make sure that everything blends as well as possible you know having a good understanding of of camera and, and all of that stuff even if you're not doing it if you speak if you if you speak the same language you're good. Well, you you both you both hit the nail on the head, though. I mean, I mean, Stuart, you called it. It's like, but you 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 like the thing about the caller. You probably learned that the hard way, though. You probably at some point in your career saw somebody or did it yourself, made something that you didn't coordinate with costume, and there was a problem. So you with Pax paint as well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You learn, you know, I'm a, this could rub off. Costumes will go get mad. They'll blame it on us. <clears throat> I'm going to think ahead. We'll talk to them and you'll strike up the conversation and the relationship. I remember back in the day, you know, people would say like, you know, don't talk to the regular makeup department or you don't have to talk to them. It's like, it's like, we're a team. Like, you know, like I may need help. You know, we're all part of the, you know, offer my help. You know, it's like, we're all part of the same family and the better we all work together as a machine, you know, the, the better the, the end result and, and, you know, they'll, they, they, you know, you need their help sometimes, you know, and yeah, absolutely, completely, completely. And, and as far as VFX goes, I mean, yes. And now in today's world, you know, where, where an entire, the entire post-production process can go in and manipulate and change and, and get involved in every other department, you know, having that relationship is is as crucial as even, you know, you're talking to your costume designer with the neck thing. You know, it's like if your work, you know, is going to be interacting with another department or then taken over by another department, the better your relationship, the better that, you know, final product is going to be, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's crucial. Absolutely. Which is I, one of the reasons I think um, practical shops are bringing digital in-house because they they do speak the language and it's easier for them to just do it themselves than to try to communicate with a with a shop who's going to be doing this stuff in post and they're nine hours ahead of you or behind you time wise or you know the communication gets gets difficult you know being able to do it it's like what you're doing yeah it's wonderful amazing yeah there's a lot i mean when you're i mean having worked on a lot of product projects digitally now at a certain level of filmmaking, there's, it, it almost seems beyond the capacity of what, a, you know, like a shop could do. It's like, you know, it's like when you were dealing with, you know, like I'm working on a show right now 
and the the plates we're ingesting from production are 8k plates um so that's one shot is an eight is eight and 8k and so the amount <laughs> of and just the it of the of the file transferring and the coordination of things it's literally another profession i mean it is another entire whole industry you know it's like you know um we got into this we were like oh well you know maybe we should set up a school and work with a school you know to teach computer you know like the digital to makeup artists you know we thought that would be a great way to go you know because we want to train makeup artists to be able to you know work digitally and um and I was, and we were told flat out by a, a lot of very big people saying a school is a completely different entity, it, uh, you know, trying to create open a school that does this is a completely different um, uh, uh, model, like a business model, right. Uh, you know, that then, then the VFX, you know, I would say the same for us practically. Well, invariably the software that set. you're teaching. It's a completely invari- different, yeah. the way they work and the way they, ingest information and move things around and, you know, transfer this and the naming conventions. And then, you know, I would get, I defy any, you know, effects house coordinators and everything to, to try to get involved in the naming conventions of VFX plates and transferring things back and forth. It is beyond mind boggling. Unless oh, it's a lot of proprietary stuff involved. Too. Unbelievable. Every, and everybody you work with is different, you know, and they all handle things differently. And, you know, we're, ha- we're working with everybody, you know, like the biggest companies and studios and, and it's, you know, you teams of people to do things that we, you know, have never dealt with in our lives, you know, that, that seem like, I can't even wrap my head around why this person is doing that. And, you know, when you see the credits and you see the thousands of names go by at the end, you realize it's like, holy, it's a whole different animal. And so like year, like for years, like when Stan tried to get into it, you know, and tried to have his digital, you know, you know, in, in-house set up and Aaron tried so valiantly to get that going. And then eventually just went off and started his own visual effects company. Um, Cause he kind of had to, cause it was just so hard to do both you know, like near impossible. So you can do, it's like, you know, I've met a lot of makeup effects guys, you know, they go, Oh yeah. Like you're in Lundstrom who's just as talented as they come. Right. And, and you're does all, a lot of his digital work. He'll tell production. He goes, look, if there's any cleanup or any digital work, you know um, I'll do it, you know, which is great. He makes it in his deal. They'll send him the, you know, whatever the footage is on his movies and he'll do it in after effects or, you know, something. But when you're dealing with, you know, 4k, 6k, 8k plates, you know, you, you can't do after effects to, you, you know, you're in like flame or nuke, you know, a flame machine is like an $80,000, you know, oh, just, setup. just to start. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and to, and to, and to work in nuke, you you have a $10,000 license, you know, just to operate it, which is a monthly thing, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's crazy the scale that you have to jump up to to start doing that and the time it takes to do that, you know. So um, uh, that's why I had to, you know, you know, just create another entity to just take to start doing that kind of stuff. It's it's um it's it's all encompassing, you know. But that, again, is what is, is, is your response to you dip a toe into it. You try and see you, you swill it around. You, you, you surround yourself with all of the problems you met with all of these 
negative responses with people. You go around your music and go, well, I'm going to go this way then. I'm going to take what I know you guys have a problem with and I'm going to do it differently because... Yeah, and you saw the need for it. I can't work with that. <laughs> but I know it can be done, so I'm going to do it. And I'm going to prove to you it can be done by doing it <laughs> rather than... And I love when I hear guys like Jorn said that. I was like, that's amazing. And that's yeah. what you want. That's unbelievable. That's so great to have ownership and control over our work. That's my biggest problem. My biggest problem and the reason I started doing it is... I couldn't stand seeing movies where you saw all this crazy digital work and it was just either not good or, or worse ruined stuff that we did, you know, and, and, and it was just happening more and more and becoming more and more prevalent. And every movie now, you know, does it. And, you know, you just got a bunch of people that are as talented as they may be. They're not makeup people, you know, they're not effects people like us. They don't Uh see what we see. They don't have the eye we have. They don't have the, the, the subtlety or the, or the, you know, just the capacity to do what needs to be done and not what needs to be done. They just don't have that. So they'll go in and just do stuff, you know, like, you know, they're like the editors pointing out or the director pointed out or, you know, and, um, and, and it would just frustrate the hell out of me. And, uh, and people started coming to me, like actors would come to me and directors like, did you do that stuff? And I'm like, no, I had nothing to do. Why would they ask me? How silly. The one person who knows what it should look like. And we've ne- we've never ever been you know uh, uh, com- talked to about that stuff. So that's when I just said, you know what, I'm gonna, you know, uh, I'm gonna start getting involved in that kind of stuff, you know, uh, um, and and offering an, uh, you know an alternative option, you know, because you know there are companies that specialize in it and they say this is what we do. We do cosmetic work and everything. It's great. Not one single makeup person working for them. It's like I, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you say you're going to do this job when, you know, we have, I have 40 years of experience staring at at a face, you know, and looking at how the light interacts with that face, how the colors change with different light and, you know, and, 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 and beyond that, what's the conceptual, you know, decisions behind why I did that or, and why I did that, you know, it's like, what was the artist trying to say in this scene? You know, what's the continuity of the character? What's happening? You know, it's like, does that digital guy who's never been on set, who has nothing to do with this production, does that guy know or she know what that artist was trying to achieve with his character and his actor, you know? And and it's impossible, you know? It's, they were never in a million years. I don't care how good they are. They're never going to know what that community, that process was, that was happening there. You know, the subtlety of things that I do on a makeup from one shot to another for a character, you know, like the characters getting up in the morning to when he goes to work, you know, the, the, the little things that we do, they don't know that there's no way for them to know that the only person that knows that is that those people. So my thinking was let's bring that person into the mix. You know, let's get the, let's get the right from the horse's mouth. Let's, let's try to involve, you know, just like the, the DP should be the only one who's, you know, overseeing the color timing at the end of the movie, the, the, the whole DI process, you know, the DP is the one who designs the overall look of the film, you know, the lighting and the, and the mood and the camera of the film, you know, it's like used to be when they first started the DI and the color timing and everything, the DP was nowhere to be seen. He was not part of that process. And the, and the, they fought. Which makes no sense. It, it just it's beyond no sense and so the directors of photography and the and the and the cinematography you know guild had to fight 
to get into that process, you know, and now it is the DP who oversees that, you know, it's in the budget. He's on, you know, call, he's that couple of weeks. He's the one going through all the shots. How can you possibly go in and change a bunch of makeup stuff and not consult with the makeup people or the hair people? It's beyond my, you know. Yeah, I often wondered about that here. when they, you know, uh, with post-production, when they're grading stuff, you know, and they, they change the colors of things and, you know, without meaning to, but, you know, you've got lip colors and stuff that might be very specifically chosen for the period or something. And then they're completely changed by the oh, act of grading okay. the film. So well, now their lighting matches well done, but now that's, that's the wrong shade. And they don't, they don't see it. They don't care. They don't not aware of it. Oh, I didn't uh -huh. even see that. You bring it to their attention. So I go back to the very first conversation we had. It's that communication in the beginning where you set the stage and you have those conversations where you tell them how important what you do is, why it's important. And it's important right to the end. You know, it's, it's, it's as important in pre-production where we're designing and coming up with the characters and their looks and their continuity and, and their arc, you know, whatever that may be. I don't care if it's a, if it's a, you know, a guy who gets sick and then gets healthy, or if it's a, ogre or demon or what you know whatever zombies it's you know we think that shit out like so you know minutely you know and and um uh and and it and it should carry through all the way to the very end so you know if there's post-production work you know being done you know let us be involved let us make sure we're the ones who make sure that it's dialed in and it's the integrity of it is consistent, right? So that's the way it's supposed to look. Yeah. So that's my, and I start that every show with <laughs> that conversation and that argument. And, you know, and it, and again, it was like through years of experience and, and watching it done badly or without that. And finally just, you know, can't take it anymore. And I just, you know, I stuck my hand up in the meetings and I said, I would like to be involved. <laughs> I just think, you know, uh, the visual effect guy's going off like a mile a minute and we'll do this and we'll do that. And it was, it was literally on a show where there was a, you know, it was a, it was a, you know, a gangland, you know, like drugs and murders and killings and all sorts of shit. And, and uh, everything that involved blood and, a, and an effect was going to be post everything that we would have done, like all the makeup effects, gags and this and that and everything all gone. Right. All taken out. I, you know, all my notes gone all digital and i just got halfway through the production meeting <laughs> just i'm losing my mind slit throat okay we'll take it we'll do it we'll take care of it just like <laughs> this is so mad guy's gonna get stabbed we'll do that he's, he's shot we'll do that it's like okay finally i was just like you know something <laughs> some of this stuff we could do on set really quickly and easily and it'll look great and if you are going to do it digitally please let's have a conversation a sidebar and, and let's talk and I'll, I'd like to be involved in that stuff because I think I can help. And, and luckily for me, that particular job, the VFX supervisor was so uh, uh, impressed. And, and once he saw what I was doing, he was so complimentary and, and, and loved the idea of collaborating uh, that when the time eventually came and we got together and I went and started helping them and he started giving me more and more and more and we started doing stuff in post the director would lost his mind he was like this stuff looks fantastic i'm gonna let's do this let's do this started adding stuff and it was amazing and that, that's where i got bit by the bug and i was like this is great like this is what it should be you know and i've heard stories of other people doing it you know same like joel harlow did it on on the lone ranger you know the same thing like you know with with certain effects and characters you know like he knew when he did the um the wooden indian makeup on johnny depp 
you know, that like bookends the movie, I think uh-huh. he, uh, Johnny, you know, once you put the makeup on him, he, you know, he, <laughs> Johnny was not as felt as he wanted the wooden Indian to look. And so Joel, you know, made a big point of getting with production and saying, look, and the director Gore Verbinski and was like, I really want to be involved digitally, you know, and I'll show you here's going to be the practical, but here's what it can look like if we can digitally augment it and enhance it. And he was all for it. And they were like, this is great. And so Joel, Joel worked really closely and supervised all the post-production, you know, cleanup and, and, and sweetening of it. And he did stuff like, you know, he worked on the eyes and they just think, you know, did all this cool stuff to it. And, and I, again, and they were both nominated for Oscars. And I remember being at the nominees luncheon with the VFX guy and Joel. And I go like, see, this is how it works. Like, this is how it should be. This is the perfect way, you know, example of a collaboration that paid off, you know, absolutely. Uh, yeah. They didn't win, but <laughs> nobody was the right. They both were, you know, <laughs> yeah. but they, they did it right. And they got uh, acknowledged by their peers, which was, yeah. Great. Because, because like you say, even though the costume maybe, or the, the makeup is, is, is going to be reduced or modified. It's all the lights in the right place. The interactions are all there. You get so much stuff for free. That you don't have to guess and then you've got now more capacity to do the visual effects stuff and it's like if you can do it practically and like you say it needs someone to know i know what the visual effects are going to have to do and we've seen the visual effects and i know how to do it practically and so you can you know fight the course for that particular effect and some of the best visual effects people as we know came from practical like they learned how to do things and make things and now they're into vfx and they you know, I always, I, I always point to Gino Acevedo. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's my go-to. And I'll say like, you know, the reason why Weta stuff looks so good is because of Gino, you know, now I'm sure there's a lot, there's amazing. Uh, Caesar, Caesar Deco is another one. And I go, but when, when Gino went there, cause I'll never forget being at Steve's shop and, you know, young, you know, squeaky clean Richard Taylor came by 20 some odd, two years old or whatever saying, we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to start Lord of the Rings and we're going to, we're looking for people because they had nobody at the time, you know, and we're, and we're going to bring over some US effects people to help train, you know, some New Zealanders and, uh, you know, and we're, and he gave us what the, the offer was and uh, here's the deal and it's not much money, but you got to put yourselves up. <laughs> but you're going to do it because you love Lord of the Rings. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I love Lord of the Rings that much. <laughs> and, and it was for one year. Right. And so Gino thought about it and he decided to go. And, and a couple of other guys from our shop went, you know, it was guaranteed money, guaranteed work for a year, you know. And so they went and, and of course, never came back, <laughs> never came back. And but you look at some of their work and, and you hear the stories and how they were struggling to come up with certain things. And you've got somebody at the caliber that Gino was. And he stepped in, you know, like they were having digitally problems with Gollum. And so, G, you know, they're looking at Gino stuff and they're like, how did you do that? How did you get that translucency? And he's like, well, you know, you just gotta, you know, you, you know, and he like he sat him down and they gave him the tablet, which he'd never had a tablet in his hands before. And they're asking, showing him how to use it, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and he just started showing him how to do what he was doing. And all of a sudden, like everything starts getting better and looking better. And, um, uh, you know, again, it's that knowledge that we have, you know, and what I always say, it's like, you know, uh, you know, if you, if again, working together, 
when we all work together, that collaboration is, there's nothing better than that. When you can pool all those minds, um, you know, you get the greatest digital artists, you know, but if you look at even on Instagram, like we do, and you go look at, look at some of these guys who are sculpting and the digital work is like just beyond excellent. If you go back in their feed, sometimes they'll post a real sculpture. They'll post some maquettes that they did and they're real stuff. And you're like, okay, this guy's practical. Like he start, he knows how to do it practically. It's not just all about pixels, you know, and, and it's, it's just, that's important. I remember seeing a, a, a Chris Costa sculpt uh, a while ago and I, I messaged him about it and he'd done like a rough out of a sculpt, but then he'd also popped it onto a sculpting. It was all digital and he's popped it onto yeah. a sculpting stand with a pipe and everything to make it look like it yeah. was clay. I was no, like, Chris he knows is, how to sculpt. <laughs> Chris is, yeah, Chris is one of those guys. He's just fucking beyond. And, and, and I've talked to him all the time and he's, we've worked together on projects and I just, he's, yeah, exactly. He's just one of those guys. It's like, it's just, it's, beyond phenomenal you know this is one of the guys that i need to get a, a new release signed for oh yeah sure <laughs> you want to get that in the book definitely yeah could i ask you uh with regards to the digital side of things so so people are quite so here's the thing like if you want to learn how to do makeups and stuff at makeup school you know we got a long history of how that's been done and how it's been taught and it varies from place to place but there's a big body of education you know of knowledge to draw on there's not that many people that know about it uh, the digital side of things because as well it's changing all the time i mean digital's been around a while but it's, it's always advancing um could you uh, and it may be un un unfair of me to put this on you but could you sort of sum up a few things that what do you think makeup artists in training should know about digital and digital makeup just so they could start their own research and be looking in the right places so that they're not completely ignorant of these things if well, their schools are able to teach them this yeah you know the i mean uh, for me because i'm you know, I, I, I finally figured out how to turn on a computer and work it. <laughs> but, you know, like, like a lot of us, I, I started in, you know, Photoshop, you know, and I learned Photoshop, you know, and I, I never took a proper course, you know, I just kind of played with it and played with it and played with it. I remember Rick saying, I, you know, I don't have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just keep, you know, I do like six things over and over again. <laughs> um, and so, so slowly, but surely over the years, you know, I've just gotten really good at Photoshop that has served me so well digitally because now when i look at things i i understand you know the thought process behind you know how how work is done digitally and you know it it almost is like moving photoshop you know like when i've sat and sat with a digital artist and they show me how they're doing things conceptually it all makes sense to me i may not understand the steps you know like i took a class um i remember joel harlow and i took a class of for zbrush and um, he, at the time, ZBrush wasn't available for a Mac and I only had Macs. Joel went out and bought like a cheap PC <laughs> just to put, do ZBrush on, just so he could go home and practice. So he had, and you, our classes were on Saturdays. And, and so I, I was, you know, he was way ahead of me because he would go home and just practice all week long on what he learned. And then I'd come in the next Saturday and he'd be like showing me stuff. I'm like, you bastard and so i was writing my notes and you know i'm trying to do it and i'm still like how do i fucking make him can you remember who the teacher was this was at studio arts in right. in la um and uh and it was great um uh but i i couldn't like the the i the the fact that i couldn't practice was driving me crazy as the, after the class ended they finally came out with a beta you know for uh for a mac 
and I got it. And then at that point, it is so much of it had gone out of my head. I tried to play with it. It was still tricky. You had to partition your drive and then <laughs> just, it was still a little weird. And I, and I got caught up in that, in all of that. And I, and I never continued pursuing it. And then of course, every time I saw Rick after that, he's like, no, you gotta, you know, you gotta do more of it. You gotta get on there and play with it. Then it became time. Like, I don't have the time to now sit there and, you know, just be in ZBrush and playing with ZBrush, especially then you see what other guys are doing with it. And you're like, okay, I'll just throw my pen up in the air. Um, and, but Joel, like, you know, eventually I went to visit him on Black Panther and he, he had a, a, a Cintiq palette, you know, like a small Cintiq and he was doing all his ZBrush. That's the only reason he had the Cintiq was just so he could be in the trailer or on set and playing with ZBrush. And I thought, well, that's kind of clever. So then I got a Cintiq. <laughs> like a, but it was still like you know it's it's pc based so you know my mac mind was still fighting you know just turning it on and you know opening it up and you know um uh so i i haven't done as much of that i wish i'd had because that 3d modeling aspect probably would help me more in in um because all of our work we do digitally is nuke is on nuke and um i have an it guy that works for us who's going to teach me nuke um, because that's in the so, node based, right? Yeah. And so much of it makes me think of Photoshop. Like when I look at certain things, like, um, uh, and so he's going to try to slowly, but surely train me because I get frustrated sometimes looking at shots. I just want to be able to go in there and do something, you know, it's like that one thing we see, it's like, I just want to, I just want to fix that one little thing, you know? Um, and if I don't have the person who's good at that just going in and, and, touching something up real quick, you know, I would love the capacity to do it. So I'm going to learn it. So um, the problem is, you know, to learn nuke, which is what we use is it's not the same as like learning after effects. It's like, you no, can't, it's like, a like, tougher cinema. learning curve. Yeah. It's a high, much higher learning curve. Like cinema, cinema makeup school has a, a digital makeup class. And I think it's like after effects they use or, or something similar. Um, and it's a much simpler, you know, um, learning curve. And there's and sure an awful lot you can do with After Effects. After Effects, next to ZBrush, which has become my favorite software. After Effects has I've I've been in love with it for years. But but anything, I think anything that we learn digitally, whether it's ZBrush or Photoshop or After Effects or anything, you just start learning certain processes that carry over, even if it's on a much higher platform. The, the the theology behind it is the same. You know, you mm -hmm. start to have a conversation and understand what somebody's saying, even if you don't understand the mechanics of it. Like somebody could talk to me about ZBrush and I'll be like, ah, you know, like I'll glaze over, but I get it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I just may not know the steps to do it, but I can appreciate, you know, what they're doing. Yeah, I think it would be good for maybe makeup students to research and look into how photo retouching is done for magazine covers and things Absolutely. just so they can see how they Absolutely. do it like that, there'll that, be videos on how that's done and honestly that again photoshop and photo retouching has made me a better makeup artist i mean yeah just for for I, you can previs things yeah, in photoshop I relatively simply things, yeah i look at things differently now and i i mean in the old days i used to just take a polaroid of somebody and i'd go and i'd sketch over the polaroid now i do i mean every movie i do um I conceptualize all the characters in Photoshop and I do all my designs in Photoshop and I present them to the director and the actors and get everybody, you know, involved and make changes and, and um, I do all my makeup tests in Photoshop initially. 
you know, and, and how much time and energy does that and does that and money does that save? And, and then and then go from there and then and then we'll build something based on what's been approved, you know, so the better you are at that, you know, it just, you know, it, it's such a huge help, you know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Stuart and I've talked, Stuart and I've talked about, um, you know, what what you can do in ZBrush that you, you with the layer function, you can uh, mock up two or three different makeup designs in probably less time than it would take you to physically sculpt in clay one one idea and show production sign off on that and then you've already got a digital version of it if you need to sculpt it practically you've already got it to to look at yeah and there are guys doing that i mean there are a lot of guys who are doing that now you know i mean kazu's doing that i mean um arian's doing it uh you know um there's a ton of guys that are shops that are getting more and more into that you know um you know, and obviously we, there are a lot of effects guys out there. You know, my buddy, Scott Patton, you know, Scott's such a brilliant sculptor, makeup artist, effects guy, and now just a beyond brilliant ZBrush artist. I mean, everything Stan Legacy does, you know, Scott's, you know, probably had his hands on or, or ZBrush sculpted. And, um, you know, it's, it's just phenomenal, you know, and like you said, if you could scan in a life cast of an actor and then just start sculpting stuff on it, like I, that I would love to learn. But again, it's just, I need the time to sit and, you know, if I was younger now and I didn't have the family and all the responsibilities and the jobs, I, that I would, I would be all in that. That's all I'd be doing. Cause that yeah, is and, the, and the costs of stuff is, are coming down. I just picked up um, a Revo point pop two scanner uh, recently it's a little handheld thing. It was, you know, it, it retails for like 700 bucks and, and they gave me a, a really good deal on it because I'm using it for the book. Yeah. Well, you know, again, it's like, and what, last holy year. crap, the, 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 the accuracy and the, yeah. and the detail is, is as good as scanners that cost, you know, 10 times as much. Well, well, that's just it. I mean, what, five years ago, it was, it was $10,000, you know, and now it's, it's, you know, I remember, remember when the first color Xerox printer came out? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, sadly, I do. <laughs> color Xerox. And it's like, you could actually print something in color. And it's like, they're like $22,000. Oh, one day, one day, you know, and, like, and the size of your car. Drop, 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 drop. <laughs> And then you, and then it was like the day that you could actually physically own one for however many hundreds of a thousand dollars, like everything seemed to be at that. And when it got to the thousand dollar price point, the laser disc player, the DVD player, you know, it's like, that seemed to be like gettable for some reason. Like, even though at the time it was like saving up a lot of money, but when you can, when I got my first Xerox printer for like a thousand dollars, I was so like, I'd finally hit the big time, you know, <laughs> I could print my own stuff. It was amazing. Um, yeah. And now, you know, like the big screen TVs, like, you know, a few years ago when we got like, uh, you know, we moved into the house and I wanted to get a giant flat panel, you know, TV for the wall. And, you know, and I was like, and the price point was literally, you know, I, I, I like 75 inch TV was uh, like $4,500 or $5,000, depending on how nice it was. The, the 80 inch five inches more was twenty eighteen thousand dollars like the technology to go from here to here was just they haven't i guess they didn't figure it out Order now i can go to costco and i can get an 85 inch tv for twenty two hundred dollars you know eighteen hundred dollars i'm like <laughs> that looks amazing and you're like yeah it's just amazing a couple of years go by and you know 
it's, it's all going to be within our grasp, you know? So yes, learning the technology is, I think, um, if you're a younger person coming up, it's, you know, it's imperative. Well, I think ZBrush is, from a sculpting point of view, ZBrush is very affordable. Um, then they do like a free version, a lower version. And the Photoshop yeah. thing, I think the okay. Photoshop thing is excellent. Um, I've, I've done a fair bit of paint design for things over the last couple of years. Um, and I found using Photoshop, so I bought a Cintiq primarily for ZBrush, but I found it really useful for the painting. But then I got, um, you know, like an, uh, an iPad Pro with Procreate. Yeah. And I found that nicer because you can kind of work at different angles. Yeah. Cintiq is quite, you know, <laughs> you have to work like this. Um, and what I found really nice is you can do your colors in different layers. And it's maybe disciplined about naming my layers and making duplicates and then grouping them together. Yeah. Um, and then again, you're thinking about it, or I do thinking about it in a makeup point of view, like I'm layering on colors and yeah. what happens if the red's underneath the blues and I can fade these out. So even though it's Photoshop and it's technology, you're treating it like makeup. And I think that's what's, that's, that, that's very good because then you're, you're, you're not going to do anything that you can't replicate in colors because you're thinking. Well, that, that's, and that's the number one thing I tell every production and actor and director I work with. It's like, I will not, you know, I, I, I'll never forget years ago, I did this movie called Lemony Snicket, series of unfortunate events. And two days before we were supposed to go, I designed everything in Photoshop. I built a ton of stuff. This is four months of, of, of conceptual uh, testing and makeup testing and this is now we've got all the characters in the movie. We start shooting tomorrow and I get called into the producer's trailer, uh, Walter Parks. <laughs> Walter says, um, so the Sherry Lansing, who's the head of the studio, finally saw the makeup test that we had done four months prior and that was signed off on by everybody, Steven Spielberg, everybody. And Sherry saw the test and she's freaking out because she can't tell it looks like Jim Carrey. And she thinks the makeup needs to be redesigned. We start shooting tomorrow. And, and he goes, can you go Photoshop <laughs> some other looks? And I said, sure. I said, but I, I'm, I can Photoshop the world, but we're not going to have that tomorrow. <laughs> it doesn't mean we're going to have that makeup. Now I have a lot of makeups and I can change it, you know, which then is another story I've said, but you know, I, I'm explicit in the beginning of every show. And when I have the conversation, I say, look, as a makeup artist, I'm really good at conceptualizing in Photoshop. I will not conceptualize or show you anything that I cannot practically make. And I'll literally show you a makeup that I've done and the Photoshop design. And I guarantee you they'll look one and the same. Like I know if I do it in Photoshop, I know I can replicate that, you know? And, and, and it's so easy in Photoshop to just, I'll just make the nose skinnier. <laughs> you know, I'll do, you know, I'll do this. I'll make the, you know, in the old days when I was drawing, you know, you'd make, the, you know, the, your model look cooler, you know, more dynamic, you know, in a drawing, you know, um, and with Photoshop, when you've got a face and you're working with an actor, you know, and you're building stuff on top of them, you're like, I know what my limitations are. I know I can sculpt and I can add clay and I can do this. And I know I can't, you know, I, I could, I could tweak it and make it look cooler, but I can't make that. So I'm never going to show them something that I can't make and physically reproduce exactly. And that's the genius of being able to do that program. You know, myself, you give it to a conceptual artist, you know, you go to any one of the shops and they have all these conceptual artists that are geniuses and they'll design something, but you may not be able to make it. <laughs> you may not be able to translate it perfectly. I know for a fact I can. So that's the, that, again, the, the importance of being able to know that 
software and being able to use it. And Stuart, I'm, I'm like you, I got that iPad pro I waiting, waiting, waiting until they came up with Photoshop for it. And procreates phenomenal. And I, and I sit on set and I'm working on makeups and, and overlaying stuff and manipulating stuff and playing with stuff. And, and now they've got all the 3d modeling programs on there too. You know, and I was, I was doing a 3d program and I was sculpting with it. And, and Jim Carrey's looking over my head. He goes, what the hell is that? He's, I want to get that. He's like, get, get me a, get me an iPad, get me that software. He wanted to do it too. It was uh, so it's getting so cool and so much more fun, you know, and then, and then you have the time, you know, I can sit on set and play, you know, and, um, and work on stuff. Yeah. I, I, I have a, a love hate relationship with digital world. Uh, one, because we rely on it. I hate it because we rely on it for so much, but I love it because it's made life so much easier and, and efficient, you know, being able to do Photoshop and, and take a a scan of an actor's head and design a makeup in, in ZBrush is, is extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, look, that's if technology waits for no man, right? I mean, you you know, we could still be back with horses and carriages, you know, but we're not. <laughs> and so you see where it's going and, and we've got it. We either jump on the bandwagon. I know I can't tell you how many amazing set photographers that I knew that retired when the digital camera, you know, became adopted by all the studios and they wanted all their film digital. Yeah. And, and they, these all old school, you know, photographers were amazing. Or like, you know, I'm not getting into that, to that stuff. Yeah. You know? I remember that. And now yeah. no one remembers those, um, yeah, those things. Dark anymore. rooms no, are no, going the way of the dodo. I mean, yeah. I mean, think about this conversation that the three, the next generation of the three of us will be having, you know, and, and, you know, makeup will be, you know, who, who knows how much of it will be digital or, or something else, you know, like, you know, how, what AI, you know, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, you know, will be, I mean, cause we're getting into that stuff now as well, you know, that, you know, in the, in the, in the virtual space, you know, and, you know, um, I'm part of the SciTech council at the Academy and, you know, every, every conversation we, we get on is turns towards virtual production and, you know, and like, how can we, you know, uh, do things more virtually in, in the cloud and this and that. And you're like, you know, it's, 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 and makeup's already being done. And, you know, I mean that, I mean, just the, the software out there that, you know, the, um, uh, the artificial human software and, and you can take this artificial human and you can, change it to this person, this gender, this gender, this nationality, this size, this, you know, it's, it's you're, oh, yeah. you're like, oh my God, it's like the Mr. Deep fake technology is, is acid. going crazy. And so that's, you know, that future, like, cause that's where we're going. Like all that technology is now coming at us, you know, and becoming easier to, to use and cheaper and, you know, the, 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 the amount of memory it takes is being figured out. And, you know, it used to be like, again, you know, like the old Xerox, you know, it used to be like, oh, it's so overwhelming, you know, now it's just getting, you know, smaller and easier to do. You know, you couldn't do deep fake like two years ago on a film because yeah. it just, it's just, it wasn't, the resolution wasn't there and it wasn't, you know, it's like all these guys online, well, you deep fake, look how much better it is. You know, it's like, I mean, you can't do that in 4k, you know, it just looks like what it is. It's just a, you know, it's a, it's a fuzzy cheat, you know, but now, 
you know, they're, they're up resing and they're figuring out how to do it, you know, and now you've got, you know, Luke Skywalker walking around and you're like, that's awesome, you know, but that couldn't be done, you know, you know, they, a couple of years ago, they saw a need and they figured out that this technology could work. And then they just, you know, it's like you, uh, Steve used to say, just, you know, put a man on it, <laughs> just put a man on it and have him figure it out. And that's what they did, you know? And so, you know, that the future of our technology is just expanding, expanding, you know, like we see a need and they start figuring it out, you know, how do we do digital water? I don't know, get some people on it. And, you know, now they're companies and they figured out digital water, they figured out digital hair, you know, like all the shit that like a decade ago was ah, so hard. I don't know if they will ever be able to figure this out. Like now it's like, you know, now there's just yeah. a software, you just press the button and it does it, you know? Yeah. And also so, with things like iPads and stuff and things becoming more consumer um, accessible, you're going to see a lot more people who find they have an aptitude for it, showing everyone how they do it, you know? Oh, yeah. People <laughs> making money we've done 20 years ago. That's where the deep fake came from, right? It came from all these, you know, independent guys who just started, you know, doing this stuff and coming up with this crazy, weird software. It was free. It was just out there that they just, you know, and um, uh, conceptualizing stuff, you know, that's, I think that's one of the things that Mac did. I thought that was very clever is that when they beta test something, they just send it out to everybody and just see what people come up with, you know, and, and open source stuff. And, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's amazing. And so it just keeps growing and growing and growing. Um, so, you know, it's like, if you, you know, if you ask, you know, the, the 20 year old version of you, if you could have comprehended what we're doing now, it's like, no, can't even, couldn't even comprehend it. You know, so now go 20 years, you know, or 30 years, you know, what is it going to be? You know, we can't, <laughs> we can't even comprehend what they're going to be doing. And at this rate, you know, I, I you know, it's going to be amazing. So all we can do is be the ones who try to stay ahead of the curve, you know, and like, mm. you know, then when stuff is going on, you know, try to get involved and be part of it and, you know, make, help make those changes. And, 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 um, you know, I don't want to get left behind is, <laughs> is my thinking. It's like, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be a stop motion animator. I don't want to be, or I don't want to be a, um, um, you know, a creature effects guy who's now out of a job. I don't want to be like, um, you know, uh, somebody who's just, you know, become, I don't want to be the still photographer who didn't adapt to digital. You know, it's like, you want to, I want to be in front of that train, you know, yeah. on the train or at the front of it. Yeah. So, yeah, you're on that train and all the luggage you have from the past is absolutely useful in it that's the thing yeah. <laughs> you take it that luggage with you. Will make it make yep. it great right yeah i mean i love i love having these conversations i mean i you know um i it do i mean depending on who listens to it you know again you help one person you know point them in the right direction you've done a good job so there are so many of us who have you know i again you know there remember decades ago when you know nobody shared knowledge and you know it was kind of closed off and you know people wouldn't tell you what they were doing i love that God bless Dick Smith, that our generation is so open, you know, is so willing to help somebody out. I mean, I have no problem calling anybody and asking a question and getting an answer usually. Um, and, and, and I'd be the same, you know, it's, just, I love that about our, what our industries become. Cause when you hear the stories, <laughs> what it used to be, um, it's just amazing to me, you know, um, I think we'd be much farther along. Totally. Oh, definitely. If they, yeah. if, if they were that open, you know, back in the day, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's cool. That's why I think ours is expanding so so greatly. Is that we're 
everybody's been so gracious with information and with knowledge and, and paying it forward and, you know, and, 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 and the podcasts and the interviews and the this and that, and it's like, they didn't have that when we started, you know, it's like, I got like, I remember getting like the making of King Kong book and you'd read about Rick Baker, yeah. <laughs> you know, or Starlog or, you know, that was it. Like that was all we had. That was it. Yeah. I remember reading through uh, the Caglione and Drexler effects lab and they were showing you around their workshop. And I was like with a magnifying glass looking at their bench and you know, all this stuff, but that hasn't gone away. That desire. That's, that's why we do this podcast because we love it so much. We get to have these little conversations and dig deep and it fires me up just like it did 30 years ago. So. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. We're so lucky to be of that mindset. Again, that, you know, we got into something when we were young and we, you know, we just got captivated by it and we loved it and we just stuck with it. You know, so many people lose that, you know, I, I can't, what's really cool is I've come across people who had that, had what we all had and then got diverted or didn't feel like they had the opportunity or, you know, they, they, you know, they didn't have the luck or they just went a different direction, but they've still kind of got it. My favorite is um, uh, on um, Deadpool 2, sitting there in the makeup trailer. And I'm, I have the, I was sketching up, a, I was photoshopping up like a tattoo design for this actor. And, you know, the actor comes in and he sits down. And I'm like, hey, you know, I introduced myself and I think you're great and I love you. And, and it was Terry Crews, right? Black, you know, mm-hmm. uh, actor and very funny and personality and, you know, and, you know, all the Eddie Murphy movies, you know, and that American Idol and whatever. And, and, a, and, a, and a pro football player used to be a pro, you know, linebacker or whatever he was, and, you know, big guy. Right. And um, just lovely, real personable. And we're talking and uh, he go, and he says to me at one point, I showed him the sketch and he's like, oh, man, that's so cool. You know, and um, he goes, uh, <laughs> did he say like uh, he goes, you know, I love this stuff. He goes, when you, you know, when I was a kid. I wanted to be a makeup effects artist. And I go, really? I go, I go, well, I go, wow. And he goes, he goes, he goes, dude, he goes, I know everything. He goes, I know, I know everything about Dick Smith. <laughs> I know everything about Rick Baker. He goes, man, he goes, I was start, I like started out and I was, I was an artist and I drew and I was like, you know, like really getting into it. Like he just like all of a sudden the floodgate opened, you know, and he, and I'm like, I'm like, and I'm, my brain is like, I'm like, I can't even what? comprehend what he's saying, you know, cause I'm like, this is so not the person that I would ever think, you know? Um, and, and he was like, no, man, he goes, I was, I was so into it. He goes, but you know, like I, you know, my dad, you know, he put me in the sports and then I got big and I became a football kid and he goes, and it just never happened for me. He goes, but I've always loved it. And I guess I always appreciate it. And like, anytime I get near somebody who does it, he goes, do you know, Margaret Becerra? And I go, of course I know Margaret Becerra. He goes, man, I worked on some Margaret Becerra was there. And I was asking her all these questions about the thing. Like he was amazing. Like he literally was like a total geeky fanboy. And then showed me, he goes, he goes, yeah, he goes, I still draw, you know, and he showed me portraits he'd done of all the football players that he worked with. Like, like, like the be- the most beautiful pencil portrait you could wow. think of. And if you go on his Instagram, on Terry's Instagram, and you go back through his Instagram, uh, you know, in a, in between all the shots where he's posing and <laughs> You know, these you'll you'll come across a sketch. He'll throw in a sketch once in a while of something he drew, and it's just like, oh my god! Like this guy's super talented, and he just didn't, you know, just didn't go this way, you know. But he could very easily, you know, be sitting here talking to us. You know, he's 
He's just one that, that guy. And, you know, and, and the guys who were, you know, as, as, as Rick and everybody would say, like the monster kids who grew up loving, you know, what we all love. We just went the artistic route, but, you know, the Benicio del Toro, you know, who's, I got into this super long conversation about famous monsters and the creature from the Black Lagoon and, you know, with Benicio and the reason why he did the Wolfman. Like he's just, he loved, he loves it. He's, I went into his house and he's got a giant six sheet poster of the creature from the black lagoon on his wall like like this gorgeous you know like lobby sheet you know that's amazing and I, was, I was like damn that's awesome you know um and so many of them you know that's for me what i, I, I that's exciting you know like when you meet other people mm. who just like us and then just went off a different way you know and um uh, and I, you know, you get them on Instagram once in a while and I don't do Twitter or Facebook or anything, but Instagram, somebody will message me and, you know, like they'll say, you know, I have always loved this and I've been really into it. And then you look them up and they're a doctor or they're like, you know, they're, you oh, know, they man, it's so else. true. Is that when Todd and I went to see Maddie Scott Spencer, she's the ZBrush queen and she's just, we're in her place. And, and, and she was talking about, she had monster club poster on the wall and she was talking about all these makeup artists and i didn't know this about her and i was like oh my yeah. god and she was just old school practical who picked up zbrush was really good at it and now you know is amazing at zbrush but she's she still likes yeah, if stuff. you want to learn zbrush take her um intro to zbrush course on from nauman school oh, really? what's her name uh maddie, maddie scott spencer scott spencer yeah. Text, send it to me. Email. To I, me. Will, I will. I will. Yeah. She's, she she's told incredible. me I was the same. I, I've been nibbling at ZBrush for about eight years. And then Todd mentioned her and, and, and I checked it out and I was like, Oh my God. Cause sometimes you go to a lot of places and they'll, 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 they'll say stuff really quickly and you mm -hmm. don't know what the words are, but she's not like that. She's very slow. Very okay. calm. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about calm. finding the right teacher. Yeah. You know she's, I mean? she's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. It's that it's really fun. I mean, and, and, you know, when you, we can share, Again, the love of what we do, and and um uh and you and you and people just come out of the woodwork sometimes. It's, oh yeah, I love seeing those light bulbs go on over people's heads. You know, getting excited about the stuff that excites me that that floats my boat. Yeah, cool guys. Well, keep it up. You know, keep doing it. It's great. Uh, let's wind this up. This has been a long episode. Um, thank you for yeah. listening. If you made it to the end, well done. Good stuff. Oh, I know I was going to tell you. I was going to play this. We had a voice message. Somebody got on the website and left us a message. They did. Let me just awesome. find you. Well, we have we have uh, uh, our speak pipe, uh, where is which is an app on our website, and basically you can leave us a voice message. Um, I've just got to find it on here, and I've checked with her. She's happy for us to put some of this into the podcast, some of the audio. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Todd. I wanted to thank you so much for your amazing podcast. I've been binge listening during the seeming process of 15-foot dinosaurs. <laughs> I started off in makeup effects, and now I work in animatronics. I was doing a prosthetic nose, and uh, one of your podcasts really solved some issues for me. One of them was cutting edges. Another was working in layers, uh, both acetone super baldies and isopropyl and it uh, got me out of a pickle anyways i also wanted to say hi todd i met you years ago at the effects lab dinner with joe lester and um, off and on throughout the years through imats and um, monster palooza so i just wanted to say hi and i just wanted to thank both of you for such an amazing job i thoroughly enjoy the show i hope everybody's doing well and have some future wonderful shows for us. Bye.
How cool is that? Oh, man, that just made my day. That's awesome, isn't it? <laughs> I thought her name sounded familiar. Yeah, I remember her. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, it's That brought up some some good memories you know, that I remember that dinner um, and I miss Joe Lester. Oh, man. He was a good guy. Um, yeah. Met some some wonderful people through the Effects Lab website. Yeah, that kind of started it all, didn't it? You know, before yeah, there were yeah. Facebook groups and stuff. Yeah, you know that. Joe, stuff Joe was, was Joe was one of the founders of that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty forward thinking, and you, you know, it's that kind of thing that you know, sharing stuff and making sure that there's a, a forum for people to discuss these things. It's a big deal. It matters. Yeah. Because well, thanks for that you know. lovely message, Stephanie. Much appreciated. It's cool, isn't it? So nice. Um, so yeah, so we do get messages from time. The weird thing is like a lot of them are like they're they're very specific things about something, and I don't necessarily want to drag it into the podcast because we can't hinge it around stuff. So we do get a lot of requesty things and emails, particularly, um, which I, I always say, you know, email in and we do, but I like to make stuff relevant to the podcast and put things in it. But because it's been a couple of months since the last one, I just haven't got around to doing any of those publicly I, I respond to them privately and i'm sure you know i see you do that too but it's just one of those things where it's like ah, you know trying to include it into the audio of the podcast sometimes it's a bit tricky but yeah if you come to our website battles with this bit of rubber.com you'll see uh, a little tab on there you can just leave a message a voice message if you want to do that um and if you're happy for us to use it in the show then please i, I did check with stephanie before putting it on but um i'll i'll, I'll trim it up and uh and put it out but uh yeah you can always email us as well stuart and todd at gmail.com we um, welcome your your queries and comments all right cheers guys cheers todd cheers Stu. cheers man take care talk to you later cheers you can get in touch through our facebook page or email us at stuart and todd at gmail.com check the show notes for more information if you enjoyed this episode tell someone else and help us grow by sharing it on social media. Thanks for listening.